0: do
1: not have a quorum today thank you very much trustees uh, I'm actually going to in the uh, vein of efficiency turn turn it right over to uh, our team so uh, this is the first as you know of our our um, education sessions Uh, we're excited about this Uh, uh, point of fact just a a wee bit apprehensive uh just as we sort of fill this out together so i'll 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 ask your indulgence on that but i also want to thank uh uh, both david and karen for stepping up to the plate uh uh, just share a little bit of the sausage making that uh, we had another session that after our retreat we had uh, uh, elected to to bring to you first uh, but one of our providers, Dr. Swift, is uh, uh, active in her clinic right now, and we didn't uh, want to take her away from that. So we, tr- we re- reshuffled the deck, and, um, and David and Kieran were up next. And as I said, they were, they were um, uh, with just a minor amount of arm twisting, uh, stepped up to the plate. And so um, um, I, w- I wanted to publicly thank them for, for their willingness to do so. Uh, yeah, thank you re- very much. Um, and so today, uh, they'll bring to you our first... Uh, um, uh, board education uh, at your request, and this is a uh, focus on uh, the sort of the industry transition from FIFA service to value based purchasing and sort of the, the trajectory that that's on what it means for us and and what sort of things are already on our horizon or 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 that we're already doing or on our immediate horizon so with that i 'll turn it over to David and and Karen and you can take it away
0: uh, Thank you Devacchio <coughs> Karen and i are Karen and I are delighted to be here to talk about this subject with you. It's actually quite interesting. Uh, obviously, it's educational session, so let's have a nice dialogue. Um, it confuses us, so don't, <laughs> don't worry about asking questions, okay? It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. But anyway, we want to give you a good overview of uh, <clears throat> what it means to go from fee-for-service to value-based payment, um, what it means to us, and what we're doing about it. <clears throat> I think everybody's familiar with the term fee-for-service, meaning you do something, you get paid. Okay, and what's occurring in the industry is um, a whole range of modifications to those payment mechanisms to incent various types of behaviors, okay. So up here, um, a lot of different um, programs and and acronyms. Uh, MSSP is Medicare Shared Savings Program. You'll, you'll see a lot of these programs actually started with Medicare, <clears throat> who introduced, um, they went, they introduced the payment program back in the 60s and converted to prospective payment uh, <clears throat> in the 80s and then to uh, introduce the concept of uh, uh, HMOs in the 90s. And essentially what they've been doing is trying to make sure that the government gets good value for the money that they're paying for health care. And value means not just that they got care, but they got good care. Um, <clears throat> and patients were happy, uh, error rates were down, it's done efficiently. So all, all kinds of programs to do that. So, but most of them happened with gov- with Medicare. They're then expanding to um, commercial payers like Blue Cross and then now to um, Medi-Cal. Um, <clears throat> so this is just to show you that there's a whole range of things out there. Now, the ones that affect... Mm-hmm you can sure. oh. go go through this thing so the government the round circle are all of those government things yes the inner circle are that is what and then so help me understand this chart <clears throat> okay so um this is essentially saying that consumers are all pursuing ways to get better value out of healthcare so employers for example could be represented by the leapfrog group <clears throat> who's looks at what providers are doing, what it costs, what kind of quality metrics, and they they come up with standards and they compare providers against each other. Okay, Medicare does the same thing. They have value-based purchasing, which we're going to talk about, Um, patient-centered medical homes, readmission reduction program, which we're going to talk about, Uh, but also things like accountable care organizations, which we're not currently doing, Uh, Medicare Advantage products, which we're not currently participating in. Um, So what what we're trying to do, um, in addition to giving you an overview of the kinds of things that are out there, are to talk about the specific programs that impact us, because not all of them impact us, particularly as a designated public hospital. And I I wanted uh, at this point to uh, point out that we gave you some reading material. Uh, In particular, I I gave you one last night (coughs) I pulled out of uh, HFMA Magazine that makes the point that you know, people are really kind of skeptical about whether this is actually producing the results. And uh, for designated public hospitals in particular, we tend to score worse than say, a freestanding community hospital for a lot of different reasons. We have a, we have a different <clears throat> uh, mix of patients, we have teaching programs, we, we, it's, just, it's just much more complex and we just tend not to score as well, um, even oh. though the care may be just as good.
2: Okay. Quick question. Once one of these programs goes comes goes into place, do they ever go away, or?
0: Uh, they can. For example, okay. the um, the Pioneer <laughs> ACOs, which was one of the first ACO products, mm-hmm. many of the systems that jumped into that are now backing out, saying, "Look, it's just not, it's not working for them. That it's a, it's a lose proposition for them." So, okay, let me get that down in case it's me. Okay, um, now so let's focus on. Alameda Health System for a minute. So we are currently impacted primarily by Medicare programs, but <clears throat> um, Medi-Cal is um, an uninsured, uh, that there are uh, some performance incentives in the uh, health pack population contract. In terms of the uh, <clears throat> Medi-Cal managed care contracts, we're currently renegotiating those agreements with the Alliance and Blue Cross. Uh, the state is um, <clears throat> Imposing additional performance requirements and we expect those to come down to us in terms of things that we need to do to earn uh, the full compensation that we're um, That it, we have available to us um, <clears throat> also with the new Medi-Cal waiver program there's a requirement that uh, currently I think it's 50% of the payment stream has to be tied to Um, what are called alternative payment mechanisms, like capitation or some type of risk sharing. Uh, That's gonna go up to 80%. And then with uh, the commercial plans we're entering into, they also have performance standards where we will be at risk for amounts of the compensation based on our performance, okay? So at a very high level on Medicare, the things we're gonna talk about tonight are what's called the value-based payment program hospital acquired conditions, readmission reduction, bundle payment, which is starting in January, and then uh, in the future that we we hope to be participating in a Medicare Advantage product, but we're not gonna talk about that tonight, okay? Okay, so uh, the first thing is that uh, CMS, which is Medicare, is really wanting us to do, us meaning the healthcare industry, to do two, two things, one is to transition to um, some type of uh, payment program that's associated with risk. That's on the left, and their objective is by 2018, about half of all payments to um, hospitals would be, um, 50% would be at risk financially for some reason. And then mean? means that um, there'd be some mechanism that says if, if, uh, if uh, performance criteria are not met, um, the, um, the hospital would get paid less, or, or the hospital would take some form of risk for that. So for example, um, um, if uh, Medicare said you, you're participating in a Medicare Advantage product, so we get paid capitation for the Medicare population, you're, we would be at risk because if the cost of taking care of those patients went up, that would come out of our pocket. So they view that as aligning incentives so that we have uh, an economic incentive to become more <coughs> efficient and not get paid simply fee for service, and do more get paid more. They, right. they want to stop so that. The
3: risk is for the organization, not to a patient. Yes.
1: Right. Oh yes. Right. Yes. Correct. And it goes both ways. So the, in, inherent in the risk is, uh, whereas currently a fee for service, you have a set payment amount, and however much you do, you multiply that times the rate, and that's what you're going to get paid. Uh, a capitation means here's the amount that you have to work with. If you go over that, the risk is to you as an <coughs> organization, you have to absorb those costs. Uh, similarly though, if you can manage your costs and go under that through some other, you know, uh, host of ways that you take care of patients in the least costly setting or lowering your costs, then you, you that benefit anewers to you. So you're going to get paid this amount and you can use the net. Yes, right. exactly. So,
0: So the left side of this okay. is so, basically saying, yes. be more efficient, which potentially could mean provide <clears throat> fewer services to patients. But the right side says, but you've got to have quality, too. You can't do less and have poor quality. You have to actually increase quality. Mm-hmm. So it means doing the right thing to the right patient at the right place. Yes, Jim. Okay.
2: So okay. Um, So for example, it says fifty per, by 2018, 50% transition to risk. Does that mean? We need to be fifty percent, or sort of hospitals nationwide. No, need to na-
0: nationwide, this is a CMS objective.
2: Okay. Yeah. And for us, is this kind of an all or nothing thing? We're either risk or not risk, or can we be no. risk on some things no, and fee for service on others? Yes. There's there's a whole
0: blend of programs, and and uh, we'll be talking about, for example, the uh, CMS <laughs> is starting a um, <clears throat> um, bundled payment program for lower extremity total joints starting January 1st. And okay. they're doing it. They're picking regions throughout the U.S. We happen to be in one. And they've said, we're going to look at all of the care for a total joint including rehab and drugs and mm-hmm. wherever they happen and
2: we're going to pay a fixed amount of money. You guys work it out. Okay. And is this something where if, for example, we think we're really good, we can say, well, give us more risk programs yeah. and if we say, Gee, we're not so sure. Oh. We're ready yet. We can we can say, don't give us so many quite yet. We're not ready.
0: Well, this is a demonstration product for project for okay. this
2: one type of surgery. Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. continue. No, uh, Joe had a question yeah. then.
4: Really, I just want to say that the, the risk, uh, this concept really gets to the heart of population health, and it's making us responsible, yes. uh, not just for how well we take care of our patients, but how well they take care of themselves. So if a patient walks in and they smoke a pack a day and they eat five pounds of red meat every day and I say, you know, you need to change your diet, I'm going to give you this heart medication, and they don't change their diet and they continue to smoke three packs of cigarettes and they have a heart attack the next week, we lose money.
5: Yeah, and to that point, that's why it's so essential that the prevention field and the healthcare field are combined together because the other part of it is this is from the hospital POV point of view, but the other part of uh, ACA is that there are so many community-centered programs and public health things where there are natural <clears throat> fits with the right. healthcare system. So those guys have to pick up some of that slack right. with, uh, with coordination from us.
4: And, and I want to ask this. Um, you had, you alluded to this earlier, David. Our population, I mean, we, we treat the homeless, and they are decidedly less healthy because they don't have a home. Um, do public hospitals get, like, do we start at a different place on, it, 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 we, we already know that we start, our starting line is further back and we have to get to the same finish line. Do we get points for the fact that we serve everybody? And yes, as opposed do. to a Sutter? Yeah, uh, we, we
0: do, particularly as a de- designated public hospital, we get lots of points. But will we get points here?
4: under this new risk system that if our population mm. isn't responding, as quickly to
0: yeah, so, achieve so, better health,
4: health outcomes than a so, Kaiser or a Sutter. Right. Yeah. So
0: the industry, all these payment mech- mechanisms go to great lengths to sort of normalize for variances in populations in terms of the demographic mix, the severity, the acuity of the patients. It's called the underwriting process to make sure that the payments you receive reflect the risks, quote, that we're taking for that particular population. But your, your original question is very, or statement was very insightful, which is, yes, all of these programs are intended to ease the health care system away from fee-for-service and toward um, an environment where we can uh, engage in true population management, which is taking responsibility for set groups of populations, managing that risk, ensuring that people get to the right place and at the right time.
3: So, David, did I, did I understand you to say that we, we can, in fact, reduce the program, no, uh, eliminate programs, if, but we have to improve the quality of whatever we maintain?
0: We, we have to demonstrate uh, improved outcomes and patient satisfaction and patient experience.
3: Okay. Which with is, with programs we elect to keep or, no. or we must maintain what we currently have?
0: you're not required to maintain what we currently have and we can actually add programs. I think what he said was you could reduce the amount of services you're providing to the
4: patient because you're moving away from fee-for-service, but the value of the services you do provide needs to go up. I think that's what. Yeah, Yeah, the the
0: classic example. So the idea is is you um, wouldn't
4: come to the doctor as much because when you get to the doctor, mm -hmm. they're doing such a good job that you don't need to come back.
3: I see.
0: Okay, the the classic example Mm -hmm. is um, since hospitals currently get paid fee-for-service, doing something to somebody. Um, <clears throat> we, we typically, for example, would not hire a pharmacy tech to go visit people in their homes, open the medicine cabinet, get a list of everything that's in there, <clears throat> and ensure that they all match up. Because one of the big reasons for readmissions is poor medication management. Under capitation, it might make every
2: sense in the world to do that. I see, hmm.
3: I see. Yes,
2: and conversely, it may be that, well, oh, we're going to give you an X-ray, and we're we're, yeah. and, and we're going to give you a blood test, we're going to give you this and that, but under the new scheme, maybe, you know, we only really need to give you a blood test to start, yeah. and that may be more than enough. Right. So, yeah. you know,
0: yeah, and, and I'm not a clinician, and Dr. Swift couldn't be yeah. here, but um, I've talked about this, and there are many examples of um, <clears throat> the correct clinical protocols, and that sometimes we just say, well, you know, we'll just do this because you know it's there or, or you know there's yeah. lots of areas where we don't follow the best practice and it, it results often in not only additional costs but Harm. lower outcomes mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. and the other thing is that there were uh, like there, there were penalties and incentives or rewards tied to earlier process measures. Like we did this, 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 and you would get credit if you did this. And they don't, now the amount of process measures, what what you're doing is going less. It's much more on outcome measures. Whether you do 20 things or you do two things, are you getting the right outcome? And that's where that, uh, uh, you know, the proportion is shifting. So we can't be just saying we are doing this and we are doing that, we have to show.
4: Can I just ask, um, and, and I'm sorry to <laughs> bog you down with these questions, but when I read the other the other um, agenda, I mean the other Science. companion piece, that you, I, I, I saw the creative way in which they're trying to ease hospitals into this. Um, but it begged the question for me, it's like, so there were a couple percent here and a couple percent there on, on both ends. Do we know of another country or another healthcare system where they, I mean, Maybe there isn't one because everyone else who's smart is single payer. But um, is, is there another system where we've switched from fee for service to this value based care? That's a great
1: question. No, that's a great question. I don't know, actually. I don't know either. No. Perhaps Singapore, but I, I wouldn't know that for certain. Uh, they may even be single payer, but I'm not sure. But I think, I think the anomaly of fee for service medicine, particularly for higher end services, uh, or higher cost services is, is really more of a western yeah. american healthcare system thing yeah. so probably a lot of other systems haven't been as challenged with the cost of care uh, relative to the quality of care cuz you know those those slides and we talked about some at the retreat of, of the um, per capita cost that we have in healthcare versus the outcomes in terms of broader public health outcomes mm-hmm. of longevity of life and quality of life and we are so far off the radar there that yeah. that i think it's something mm-hmm. that's unique to us that and you know, a lot of other places aren't struggling with.
0: Okay, so uh, these are the Medicare programs and the ones we're gonna be talking about are in purple. So hospital value-based purchasing, readmission reduction, hospital c- acquired conditions, and the joint replacement model. Okay, but there are other ones out there. Okay, <clears throat> now before we talk about them, so it's important to realize that for most hospitals, this is a loser. Those, those programs combined are losers, even though.
3: The purples are losers? What do what you, the, the, I'm sorry. From,
0: for most hospitals nationally, and, and, and fundamentally what they generally do is either um, take money from everybody, put it in a pool and then redistribute it, or <clears throat> put a certain amount of your compensation at risk based on performance outcomes. Most hospitals are, like 72% are losing, Money David,
3: I am a really remedial learner,
0: okay. truly I am. Okay.
3: So will you go back to the colored slot, the purples? Sure.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
3: So you said that um, you're going to be talking that med- these are all Medicare yes. programs. Yes. You're going to be talking about the deep purple ones. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, these three. So the question I would have on this slide, are the deep purple ones what you're intending to talk to us about, or are we involved with all of these, or are we only involved Mm. with the Deep Purple ones, and? We
0: we are only involved with the Deep Purple ones. We'll be in this one in January. The rest of these we do not currently participate in. Okay. And we're going to be talking about these. And And we
3: don't currently participate because we're a safety net hospital, or we haven't elected to, or
1: Um. Yes. I all think all of all the, of those. Yeah. the larger part is is, is is sort of all of the above, uh, but the larger part is uh, that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe all of mm-hmm. the blue ones are voluntary. Okay. So mm-hmm. you as an organization can elect to participate in them relative to your sophistication around taking risks, your willingness to sort of explore these models, whereas the ones in purple are the yeah. uh, ones that actually initially started off as sort of day data collecting, so somewhat uh, volunteer reporting that eventually became mandatory for every mm-hmm. hospital that's still in fee-for-service Medicare, that's which correct. we are. Yeah.
3: So is the the la- light lavender one that we're going to get into, is that becoming that, a mandatory? That one's going to yes. become
1: mandatory yes. in that's January. Mandatory. Okay. Yeah. But for, just, for certain. just for certain parts of the country, and we happen to be in one okay. of them. Okay. So it will be for us. These are all just for Medicare
0: patients. That's right. So the
1: ones
6: yes. are
0: um, and this is a primary Medicare inpatient, and it's uh, <clears throat> between 16 and 20 million for each of the three hospitals. For Alameda Hospital, it's about 25, 25 percent. For the system, uh, for the system oh, for the system, it's um, than no, for the system, it's uh, 45 oh, rel- okay. percent. Relatively cool. small. Yeah. Now maybe a little bit more maybe 6. Say the 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 money at risk is about 48 to 50 million dollars we have eight, over 800 million so maybe 5%. Oh 5%. Y- you're talking you about the that. 45 that's what that I thought. That's around. what I thought yeah.
3: it says 45%. Oh 425,
4: yeah. to four five. Four two five. 5. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Say 5%. Oh percent. 4 to 0. Oh. Yeah. Relatively we that No that's right. <laughs>
1: Well, Medicare also includes renal failure, so some of those people are yeah. younger. But, but Rel- right, Relatively <laughs> small
0: dollars compared to the size of our system. We'd like more. We'd like, yeah, we'd sure. like
4: it to be at 25% yeah. like Alameda Hospital. If our whole system mm. was there, we'd be doing a little bit better.
0: So then, then what I'm saying is if you take these three programs combined and look at them nationally, 28% of the hospitals make a little bit of money, 1%, 1.5%. They get, they get paid more than they yeah. would have otherwise. Everybody else is sort of a loser.
3: Okay, but we're talking about... Uh, I'm trying to understand this. So we're talking about the, the people that are losing the money. Yeah. Let's say we, we're one yeah. of them. We are, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's losing the money of 4 to 5% of the budget.
1: For us, yes. For us. No,
0: no, no. no. I'm saying 5% <clears throat> that they use the dollar amount 5% to compute. I'll show you how this works in a minute. Okay, but you keep, you're not going to lose five percent. You're going to lose anywhere from one to two percent of the five percent. Right. Yes. Yes. That's what she said.
3: Yes, she yes, caught She okay. that. Yeah. Yes. That's the part
1: that's at risk for us. So that that portion. So this
3: is the conversation that we're having. Correct. Is about four to five percent of our budget. of our overall budget. Yeah. Okay. So
1: so yeah. actually, I'm glad you said that. That was part of the context setting. That may have been a little lost. So so one uh, logical question would be: Why are we only focused on about four to five percent of our overall budget? So it's two reasons for that. One is that uh, these programs are the mandatory programs for Medicare, of which most hospitals, just about every hospital in the country participates. Uh, and the reporting that happens around how hospitals around the country, irrespective of what percentage of their your budget uh, this reflects, is it, it happens. Uh, and so we're included in that. I say that because then, you know, we had some recent press about Medicare value-based payment uh, uh, incentives and penalties. We are one of the losing hospitals, and so we got some negative press around this, but part of that is because some of the things that we're talking about now in terms of the proportion of our costs that, that this is related to, not necessarily reflective of our overall picture, and not necessarily reflective of our larger priorities as an organization. Though, the second part, which is important to say is, all of these initiatives, whether they're in Medicare or Medi-Cal, for which we do do a lot of work around, and we talked a lot about those and we'll mention those today, are all obviously the endure <laughs> to every patient we serve. So it's not just about, you know, we don't do a set of programs and say all of this only applies if you're in Medicare or you're not in Medicare. Right. But yeah. point in fact, uh, the percentage of the, um, the reimbursement or the uh, incentives or penalties connected to this relative to our overall budget is really, Small. Okay.
2: Okay. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I may be recalling it correctly here. But I I think also these incentives, like each year that goes by, the incentives get harder and harder to achieve. And there's also supposed to be convergence with with, um, Medicaid. So, you know, it eventually starts to affect our, our, our Medi Cal payments and it also defines how private insurers look at life so correct while it's a small percentage it gets harder every year and more and more and more of our revenue gets swept up into stuff like this correct right. and we're
1: we're a bit ahead of the curve in California in that our waiver is around also already looking at some of these value based quality improvement incentives so we're we're pushing there now although it's not required we actually Putting, we're we're voluntarily putting some of our reimbursement at risk to do that so that we can become better before it's required. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually how we're doing.
0: This is the project current projection for fiscal 16. <clears throat> it's got the three programs up here. So this is the value-based payment program. These are the Medicare inpatient revenues that are coming from each of our three facilities. Um, and this is the um, adjustment factor. So if you're at 100% or above, then you're earning money. If you're below 100%, then you're losing money, okay? And so at Highland, we're projected to lose about 152. At San Lander, we're projected to lose about 112. This is the readmission factor. <clears throat> also below 100%, and below 100, below 100. Dollar amounts are a little bit lower. And then here's the hospital-acquired condition program. Uh, we are fine here, but at Highland, uh, we flagged out, and so that's two hundred seventy thousand dollars. So in total, we're projecting to lose about six hundred fourteen thousand um, dollars out of that, out of this revenue up here. so, we're, okay. so it's
2: not—it's not, it's not a—that so not loss doesn't mean. Profit loss loss, but it's less revenue. Mm, Less revenue than
0: we would have received. Under the old way of doing it. Yeah, under regular payments, yeah. Okay. So that's just kind of context then for the discussion about the individual programs and how they work and so if
3: everything were the same, just because they changed the program, this is what we're losing. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay.
7: All right. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the programs, and there are some differences in the programs. So the hospital value-based purchasing program is really a payment redistribution program. So, so it, it takes a percentage of our future increase. So it's not cutting into our, our operating um, budget. It's it's you know a raise, if you will. And so each year there's a different set of a, or a different proportion of the future raise that everybody puts into a pot, and then the pot is redistributed based on how you. Perform, And um, without getting into a lot of detail, and, and I, I was saying earlier that the um, the programs are, if you saw the reports, they're very complicated and they use regression models and square boxes. Um, but it's important because this is the only program that I'm going to talk about that actually takes into account um, low performers. Um, okay.
3: But so, Karen, I, 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 I'm, I'm I confused. Something you said at the beginning. Okay. The, we did, in fact, lose six hundred and fourteen because the program changed, and we put the money into a pot. So, so, so that six hundred and fifty-six thousand dollars is three separate programs. Six hundred and okay. So,
7: so, okay. I'm okay. talking right now just about the value-based purchasing program. All right. And then I'll okay. talk a little bit about the readmission and a little bit about the hospital-acquired condition program.
3: Okay, so you're talking about, for Highland, the loss of the $152,000. Okay. Correct. D-
7: yes. And, and okay, then, in the, okay. correct. And so Alameda made some money, and then San Leandro lost some money in this particular program.
3: And that was because of?
7: I'm going to tell you.
3: Yeah. Oh, you're going to tell you.
1: <laughs> so you're no. ready. No,
7: okay.
3: That's okay.
1: Yeah,
7: a little you. conversation you're about that. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, so um, there's a little bit more information that I want to put into context. So, so when you look at why is it that we want um, to participate, and from my perspective as the patient safety officer, um, you know, I'm focusing on what is it that we can improve, and the value-based purchasing program actually gives us um, the ability to measure um, pretty, you know. like the, the, the issues that could be problematic for us that we can fix. So, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But really, um, from my perspective, it's the right thing to do. So, it's not really about the money as you saw in the earlier slide. It's really about, um, you know, having a program and being able to benchmark. So, what I want you to take away from this slide is um, what was talked, uh, talked about a little bit. So. So what we do when we put our, everybody puts in our 1.75%, this is the distribution. So some people will lose all of the money that they put in, um, and other people will take away double what they put in based on how they perform in the different domains. And I'll talk about the domains in just a little bit. All right, so you can all see this. Um, What I want you to take away from this, and this is in your packet, Dave and I will will kind of chime in. Um, But the important takeaways from a report like this is it gives us information about about our value-based purchasing score estimates. So so the way the program works is that we have different domains. And so by domains, I mean we have a process domain, so that's our core measures. We have a patient satisfaction domain. We have an efficiency domain. um, And then we have an outcome domain. And so each of their domains is weighted differently. And um, so bec- it's weighted differently. So we get a score for how we do. And then the weight of the score is actually given to us. And the end number is that bottom, and I apologize that we can't, we can't do this, that bottom, there we go, thanks, uh, that up the top near CHA, keep going, keep going, right there, that gives us a percentage. And so that percentage is where we fall on a graph, so the graph below. So, for example, for Highland Hospital, after they looked at all of our performance in the domains and how the domains were weighted, they came up with a percentage which was 13.79%. Okay, so the red line on that graph is at 13.79%. So compared to everybody in the United States, that's where we fell on a scale of 0 to 100%. So um, that's fairly low down the scale. So when we're talking about what our performance looks like, um, there's a dot on that graph, and the dot is the break-even point. And that break-even point is where if we go beyond that, so if our red line was beyond that dot, we would start making money. So, and the goal is to get as as close to 100% as possible. So you just received um, one of numerous, numerous reports, so they're very complex and there's different different ways you can earn points. I think what I want to point out for this type of report is that The way you get points is based on how you perform um, next to the best of the best. So I'll give you an example. So in one of our measures that falls in the process measure, um, it would be, you know, do we we remove our Foley catheters within 24 hours? We may be, for example, at 96% of the time for all of our patients we're doing that, but because the benchmark and the best of the best are doing it 99% of the time, we don't get any points for that. So in some regards, the report is a little deceiving because it doesn't mean that our patients aren't getting, you know, 96% of the time they're, they're getting um, the care that they need. But what it means is, is that we're either not improving or we are not anywhere near the best of the best and we will continue to be penalized unless we improve. Or we get better and are at the top 10 percent of all hospitals, so the bar is extremely high.
3: So, so what would prevent us from being the best of the best?
7: So, um, it it would depend on the different measures. So, um, so for example, in for 2016, most of our hospitals from um, out of 100 points, and you get points. It's very complicated, but you can get zero to 100. And some of our hospitals didn't get any points because we're not, we're below the 50th percentile.
3: No, I, I, I think I understand the point system. I, I'm trying to understand uh, it, what factors would that are uniquely ours that might contribute to um, our not being Considered the best of the best. I, I,
1: can, I can give you an example. Okay. I think if I think I understand your question. Uh, uh, one of them is one of the things that we talk about a lot in in this sort of the the value based purchasing world or or payment world is uh, the types of procedures that you perform relative to the measures that are being uh, uh, measured. So, for example, the three areas in the process domain of core measures that were uh, the focus of this system the first year was. Heart failure, what else? Congestive heart failure or, or CHF, MI, AMI, acute uh, Q- heart failure, MI, which is heart attack, and then, pneumonia. and then what else? Was it three or two?
7: So you're checking for, for core measures? Uh, yeah. So AMI, CHF, and, see,
1: um, um, pneumonia. Pneumonia, pneumonia. yes. So here's the point. So if you have in any quarter or any monthly reporting period, let's say you only have. Uh, four patients who come in with, with that uh, indication. And you have to, there's a certain set of things on a process measure you have to do, all these steps. And if you hit all those steps, you get the points. If you don't, you don't get the points. So if you have four patients and you do everything for three of them and you miss something for one of them, then you drop down to 75%. Let's say you're a hospital that gets ten of those patients and you do everything for nine of them and you miss it for one of them, then you drop down to 90%. So doing the same thing, if you will, for a fewer number of patients and having the same sort of experience, you can be penalized more if you have a smaller denominator than a, than another facility that may have a larger denominator. So so when you say what keeps us from getting to the top, in some areas it can be some areas. I mean, obviously every hospital is striving to do what are these best practices or um, uh, evidence-based practices 100 percent of the times. and. You know, point in fact, in many cases, people do get to 100%. We get to 100%. But there are sometimes those few instances where you don't. And depending on your denominator, missing it one time can meet a big difference for you that it means there's somebody else who has a larger denominator.
3: So, okay. That, that helps me. It, because what you've told me, that it's directly related to the, the hospital and its performance and not to the people we serve.
1: Uh, Yes and no, actually. So so it can be both, because part of the, the, the ability to actually hit them could also be confounded by some of the other challenges that you have. So if you have a patient who comes in who's a much more complex patient, so let's say you just have, it, not that it's a just, but let's say someone had a stroke. There are a couple of things that you have to do when you're dealing with a stroke patient. But let's say you're dealing with a stroke patient who also has some other condition, and you're trying to take care of all those things at the same time, you know, there's certain, some some core measures, there's a time horizon by which something has to be done. So, aspirin within the first hour of admission, um, something else within, or, you know, prophylaxis before surgery, right after surgery, some of those things that have to happen. If in that first hour you're not just dealing with their stroke, but you're dealing with you know something else, you might actually miss giving that aspirin. You know, you may give it at an hour and five minutes, but we have to be honest and say we didn't do, we didn't follow the best practices. So some of that is the organization, but some of it also can be the complexity of the patients that you're taking care of. Yeah. Um-
3: I don't want to belabor my no, questions, okay. but but when I came in earlier, I you know, I looked at this and tried to, I did my homework and tried to understand it. And the parallel that I saw, and I told Karen this, is very similar, and it kind of frustrates me in the sense that it's very similar in the measurements that they used in public ed for, for underperforming schools. That's right. And yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly. right. Exactly. That's it, right. It's exactly. and. Um, and, you know, transgency rates, I mean, it gets very difficult in, a, in an impoverished community with all the factors that play into it. And what I saw happening is that despite other measurements, the school was great, mm-hmm. but in, in a specific API, they weren't so good. Right and you kept getting beat up, and they're punished more and more, and it's like you keep beating a horse.
1: So that's what's happening broader. So that would probably be one of the global uh, discussion points with uh, this for for safety net organizations and people who serve a uh, disproportionately uh, disadvantaged part of our community, uh, that on a national basis, that's an argument that the National Quality Forum's making America's essential hospital, and that's what that was the uh, the case and the context that we gave to some of these local presses that were saying, oh, you're doing worse than some other place, which is, listen, we take care of a more complicated part of the population, and this risk adjustment that happens is not always entirely accurate. Part of it is it's a challenge on our part. So because we've always been paid fee for service, and we haven't necessarily been uh, 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 measured against uh, the quality or the outcomes, or any of those things, uh, the, the degree to which we do effective coding to document how s- severe a case is, is somewhat hampered because we've not been reimbursed by that. It's really expensive to do. Uh, so when you can do it, you've invested a lot in being able to do it. And it kind of didn't make sense to invest a lot in doing it when you were gonna get the same dollar amount anyway. So now that you still would get the same dollar amount or perhaps down the road is gonna be more at risk, you're a little bit behind the curve in making the case that your patients are in fact sicker. So sometimes you'll look at the, this happened to me in LA, there's a community hospital down the street from us. We're a level one trauma center. And when you document how how severe a case of a patient is, um, that makes your score call your case mix index higher. This community hospital had a case mix h- number that was indexed. that was almost twice the number of ours. And they didn't do any of the complicated stuff that we did and they didn't take care of a challenged patient population. But what they did was they had effective coding because for them, their billing from commercial payers was always tied to that. Whereas for us, public payers, you were gonna get the same amount either either way. So to your point on the education end, what's happening now is that this stuff is is becoming more transparent is it makes us look worse because the numbers don't Necessarily uh, pencil out and justify it, and then the the residual part, which is worse, is you, you get not only do you get beat up, but you get penalized financially, and the resources that you need to actually do these things end up going away from the places that actually that need needed. them the most. Right,
3: right, yes. and, and ironically, the federal government is now recognizing that what they've been doing to public ed is wrong over these decades, and so now they're changing. And
1: it well, hasn't made it over to the medical yeah. side yet.
4: Every patient left behind. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> That's exactly what it is.
1: Thank, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah. This is this is the dialogue the that we were great. having as we were prepping for this, so this well, is good.
2: Well, well, probably all the people who um, kind of aren't are doing that in public ed have moved over to CMS, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, That's not my question. Uh, so, look, looking at this, I assume this is one of your management tools. Um, yes. You know, you use, used to kind of track thing. Maybe not, but um, it, it, it seemed... So I, I look at this, and I think, how do you... Know, how do we manage, or how do you, how do you manage against that too? Because you know the the objective is to get the bonus payment, not to get penalized. But with so many things across so many programs, it's got to be very hard to focus, prioritize, and, and maybe maybe we don't focus, prioritize. Maybe we've got to do it all. Maybe that's the. Way this is set up, but I'm just kind of curious. How do you manage against such a complex process?
7: Sure. Yeah. Well. And um, maybe I you're going to you answer said, that in the I next slide. said it's a complex process. So what you don't have is the the layers beneath, and so the bla- the layers beneath actually, um, and we didn't give it to you because it, it's it, it's complicated. But it actually tells me for each of the measures what my case count was how many points I got for either achieving, like being being good as close to the best that I could get, or how many points I got for making improvements. So um, so I can take that information and figure out for the domain, okay, I'm not getting any improvement points, we're not getting better, and I'm not getting achievement points because we are low performers. So that would allow me to focus in on those particular areas. But we have a lot of areas where we're not getting points just because of, um, of the way that we're rated. And like I said, they're really focusing on everyone performing to the top 10% of all hospitals.
3: So, so how do you know, and uh, I'm trying to do a bigger picture as opposed to the, the chart here. Yes, how, how, how do you know and make the decision about the areas of of improvement okay. the reduction of harm that are outside of those things that are being measured and uh, because those might be a higher priority Let, let's say something that the staff is doing at a at an 85% rate you're concerned about it but it, you're not getting any points for it how You know, how how are you making those determinations about where you're focusing your time? Because I recognize, given the amount of money that's involved, this is more of a public relations issue than Mm. it is a financial issue. And so, as a result, it's a whole lot, uh, I think, easier for Terry to combat a, a, a public relations issue when you have shown all these measurements that are not on this sure, chart sure. that have sure. in fact improved sure. in this in the organization so it is a
7: great question and i i'm not sure if everyone has been but probably most have been to our visibility room so when we do our strategic planning and i am asked on behalf of the executive team to look and make recommendations about where we're going to focus we go through a fairly rigorous process. So we just don't use this information. This information is really late. It's coming very, very late in the game. So um, the process has evolved. So we have in the visibility room watch metrics that we are watching, so we have about 9 to 10 harms that we ran data, and most of those fall in, and I'll show you, fall into the value-based purchasing and or to the hack program. And so before this, I'm sorry, the Hospital hospital Acquired Conditions Program, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. So we strategically put those in our True North metrics. So when you see our composite score for harm, and you see, and I'll show you in a little bit, kind of, we have gone down in that harm. We have improvement efforts around all of those harms that are on that watch wall. So, so you know, um, one to two times a month, the executive team sits together. Look like at the north wall, so we have a sense of where we are for performance for all of our harms in general. And we have a couple of harms that we know are problematic for us, so falls and um, hospital-acquired skin ulcers. Um, those are counted in here, but for us we've prioritized really what we need to improve, and we've done it for each of the hospitals. So we keep our eye on the pulse of that, and then we look at that data, and so if there is a blip in the data, then the executive team would expect me to go and take a look at that. So this is just one tool of many, and my team helped the organization set the direction for harm-based because we knew Um, all of these harms that are listed in here, all of these conditions are very publicly um, scrutinized. They're they're driving our performance. It wasn't really for the money. It's it's what people are focusing on. So we focus on that.
6: And and it's it's actually, I mean, if you look at patient experience, that's going to make people come to the hospital. So if we're monitoring that and we're making the patient experience good, even if it's not being reported out, then... Patients are going to say, we want to go to Highland Hospital because they have a good experience. Or, you know, hospital-acquired infections, it, it, readmissions are, are not good for any payer. They're not going to be looked at by any payer as um, something that they want to see. So if we can keep hospital-acquired conditions and infections down, then payers will say, oh, good, we want to send our, our um insured person to that facility. So it's, it is PR, but it's also really a standard that, and, and by monitoring these things, we can make sure that our staff, everyone who's in, in contact with, with patients is, is recognizing the things that they need to do to have the, the most beneficial impact.
0: The, uh, <clears throat> the other aspect on here, I think, is the uh, systems, because organizations that have a um, <clears throat> well-built, well-functioning electronic health record are able to build these protocols into the system, and if something's not occurring, it flags. Uh, in our case, if we're doing manual documentation, uh, even if we do it correctly, if we don't document, for, from this program's perspective, it didn't happen. Okay. Okay.
7: So the reports. so we have the reports for the, for the three organizations in, in your packet, not the drill down data, but basically what's on these reports is what is in this slide. Uh-huh. okay so so that's that's kind of the high level the reports have a little bit more drill down in the bottom mm-hmm. in the bottom section of the report you can see um, comparative so it actually ranks you where you would fall in the nation and that's based on that red line mm-hmm. so that scatter diagram with that red <coughs> line if we are at thirteen point seven nine percent then that's where it ranks us in the nation mm-hmm. and so that's why our numbers are low so when When you heard the comment or you read the comment about, you know, um, one of the worst penalties, our score is low. And um, our penalty, it's not so much really about the dollars. I mean, it is about the dollars, but it's not. Okay. So
1: Mm -hmm. this is kind
7: of interesting. And this kind of, I have another slide that I wasn't sure if I was going to show you, but I think I I might, because it answers the question, um, Trustee Lawrence, that you just asked. Um, So, you know, how do we perform and how do you know what to look at? So this is Highland. And then this is San Leandro. So San Leandro's score, percentage score, is much higher. It's 24 point something. Yeah. So their line is closer to the dot. So they're mm-hmm. less mm-hmm. from break even. And then Alameda is, is 34.56 or something. So it's right around the dot. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, you know, right where it needs to be. A little better performance. It's going to be taking home, taking home some money. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I won't get into a lot of detail with this, but I think the takeaway from this slide is just, um, and I think we've talked about it, the uh, the, the ball is moving. There are a lot of changes going on, and um, uh, value-based purchasing is evolving. So if you look (laughs) from from payment uh, fiscal year 14, Um, Fiscal year 14 is using older data, and I think that's another very, very important point, is that the data for some of these reports is very old. And um, so in 14, they're using, um, you know, probably calendar year, um, actually in 14, some of the data went back to 2009. So in these models, your data gets diluted. So if, for example, and you'll see when we talk about the efficiency measures, all of the hard work that Dave and his team, the executive team, has done around f- financial efficiencies and cutting costs will not be reflected in, this, in, t- in the fiscal year 2016 numbers. That won't come out for a while. Um, so that's that's one of the problems with that. For fiscal year 16, you can see um, the breakdown of the um, the different domains, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little later. I won't we'll get into the detail of that. But Some of the metrics are shifting and moving. So this year our outcomes measures um, were about 40% of of the pie. Uh, Patient experience was 25%. The uh, the efficiency was about 25% and processes, which are the old core measures, were about 10. Where you can see in fiscal year 14, Mm -hmm. process measures were about 45%. Mm -hmm.
3: Yes.
4: Is that for everybody? And, and, right. and, and is it CMS making that decision? Uh-huh.
7: Yes. And they keep they keep shifting it.
2: So
1: based on their ultimate goal, which is you know so, they, they wanted to start, or, sorry, they wanted to to sort of walk organizations into this you know not moving from fee for service, and so part of it was really initially about just getting up your ability to report these <coughs> things, to be able to track these things, and, and to be able to follow a set of evidence-based guidelines. So that's what was more around processes to begin with, and not necessarily around the outcomes per se, but with the understanding that evidence-based guidelines should lead to desirable outcomes. And so eventually what you see is that processes eventually becomes less and less of the uh, the overall pie, if you will, uh, uh, to eventually I think going away and then it's, it's four domains that don't include uh, process uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, at the end of the picture if we still if we have yeah. that slide. yeah. Oh, so it's yeah. efficiency, safety, outcomes, and experience. But if you go yeah. back, Kieran, yeah and e- evenly distrib- uh, distribute, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the things I want to make sure you guys caught from what you just yeah. pointed out was the payment uh, penalty, if you will, that we're receiving in this year, is based off of performance against these metrics that were done. For, for um, things that were done or care that was delivered back in calendar year 2014, so when you see the performance, you should know that everything is lagging by about a year and a half to two years. So, so um, what Karen was saying was the performance that we're having right now won't actually be reflected till about 2018 uh, or so. So, so just a point to make sure you got. Um, so
4: this pie split into four pieces, efficiency, safety, outcomes, patient experience, is only applied to this very small percentage of our total budget. But that percentage is going to continue to grow because of the desire to get hospitals moving.
1: The, the, percentage of the, uh, the Medicare uh, payer mix uh, it may or may mm. not grow. I mean, a, a lot of that, if I understand you correctly. No, no.
4: No, I don't okay. mean the pair mix. So... CMS, b- we put money in this pool.
1: Oh, the the percentage of then money at f- risk will grow. Yeah, exactly. pool, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So CMS has a desire for what what uh, David was sharing earlier for uh, about fifty percent of their payments, which is all of the dollars that they pay. Of course, they're the largest payer to be in some form of alternative payment. Not all of it is in these value based purchasing uh, uh, things. Some of the other ones are in like the. Pioneer ACOs and the others—they consider those part of that 50% that is not just paid as fee for service. So this is a part of it, and this one I think only goes up about by about a half percentage each year, right? So it's gone from like 0.5 to 1 to Mm 1.5 or somewhere thereabouts.
3: Uh, I go up to Mm
0: -hmm. 2. Assuming we had a Medicare risk product, Medicare Advantage, those dollars are completely exempt from this program because, by definition, the provider has decided to go 100% at risk. For those patients, so they don't count here.
3: Hmm. Well, that's a good point
6: because Kaiser, for example, their product, you know, our competition is mainly risk and um, mm-hmm. more and more. So all of the Medicare beneficiaries who are going to Kaiser are not having to participate in this program. They're...
4: Oh, because Kaiser is going to give them care and get. Paid the same amount
0: regardless.
1: So uh, Kaiser uh, already. <coughs> well, Kaiser does. The Advantage products are <clears throat> rated on the five star, star, star system, and Kaiser's five star, top tops in the state. Right, but it's not just Kaiser. There, obviously, it's anybody who uh, is is taking lives under the the Medi- Medicare uh, um, okay. Advantage, Advantage program. Yes, yes. Okay.
7: So, so also, I just want to point but out we, on this we, slide. So, as so you look at this, is the new yeah. distribution for. I'm sorry. Was there another
2: question? Uh, 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 sort of a question, comment. I was just back to your comment about, um, um, you know, that whatever we're doing now won't get reflected until a couple of years from now in the numbers. Um, to the extent that we got, you know, some negative press for our numbers this year, I, you know, I think we need to, you know, I assume you're managing the, um, you know, the relationship because, well, we're doing all this good stuff, but. Once again, it will not show up in our numbers, and I, I can the, the We do um, and the, the the opportunity for mischief is obvious.
1: Exactly, you got it. Yeah, we we uh, we try to measure our response. Though I mean, we we, we haven't had uh, point in fact any uh, a great degree of uh, of negative media from any reputable sources, and I, I feel comfortable saying that. Uh, what we have had is. Uh, um, little I'll call it uh, uh, circumspect or lazy journalism Mm -hmm. where people have said things that aren't entirely uh, fact-based and aren't uh, that aren't clear about this very very complex program but you know it when you're when you're talking to a uh, a uh, public uh, that is not necessarily as concerned with some of these things sometimes you're just feeding into um, um, you know preconceived notions and maybe you think that drives your readership up and things like that. So we try not to sort of wallow in someone else's yeah. mess because you might actually end up giving credence to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Sure. Uh, uh, but we try, to, we try to correct the record where, where we feel it's important. And then we also try to shift the paradigm. Uh, so we're also counterbalancing that with our own positive uh, and factual media about what, what we're yeah. doing well. Yeah. Tell
4: me who, where we had bad press on this. Sorry, it
1: was, it was uh, a, a, a publication called The Patch that has like a small, it's a small local paper. So so the San Leandro Patch and the Alameda Patch essentially ran the same article, but just took uh, the picture in San Leandro. The picture was San Leandro Hospital. In Alameda, it was Alameda Hospital. Right. Those aren't newspapers. And those aren't No, no but, but point in fact, point in fact, there were some people who, who did pick up on it. And, you know, we... We are mindful of that, and we try to, you know, again, we try to measure, take a measured approach, but we want the record to be out there, yeah. There you go, I'm glad you feel that way.
4: What boyfriend broke up with his girlfriend in that town? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was probably the next article. That
3: we so the, the money that was put in, the 1.75 from everybody that went into the pool, it, it, that, are. Do we continue to put in... How does that pool get refurbished?
0: Uh, Medicare simply takes it out of the payments that they otherwise give us right at the top, they say. <laughs> you, sit, you sent in these uh, <clears throat> these bills. Here's the amount. We're going to take 1.755% out. Uh,
3: no, I, I'm sorry, David. I didn't make my question clear. I apologize. Um, the, this pool of money that is taken from... Everybody puts the pool in, and mm-hmm. some get money back in the pool. Mm-hmm. Some don't get any money back, and some have to lose some lose that money that they put in. Yes. is that is that correct? Yes. okay. So my question is, over time, I mean, is there a deadline because obviously this pool of money, if people are if people are performing, they're getting double what they put in they're not, that pool is not going to last very long. So are they at giving, each year do they take
5: yes. one Yes, yes. That's yes. what yeah. I need each, to year they, each year they close out the year and say, one.
1: here's how all the organizations around the country perform this group that's above this threshold, you'll either get your your the withhold, they call it, you'll get that withhold back, so you break even, or those who perform relative to everybody else much better, you're going to get your withhold back plus a little bit more, and that little bit more comes from the people who perform less than average who don't get anything so, back. So, or so
3: the thing back. was that each year we are contributing, if we don't perform, 1.75 reduction. 2018.
1: The amount, the next the
7: amount changes.
6: We're not it's just the that
3: we would
7: otherwise get. So it's, it, it's, it's our, so it's our yeah. increase, our yes. annual increase. We it's take a, a, a portion of our annual increase. But, and
3: but, our, but the bottom line of revenue is 1.7 in this category mm-hmm. is 1.75. This year.
1: For this year. It changes. Less. So it's it, each year it's they've, they've ratcheted that up. So, so it started, I think, at 0.5. Uh, so each year, they were with or for that year, they were withholding 0.5% of everybody's payment. And then the next year, maybe it was 1%. And now it's at 1.75%. So, and I think it's going to go up to two. Mm-hmm. So the most is going to, it's to gonna go up is two. Yeah, it's basically like a sort of a deduction off of your income, basically, that then you can, yeah, you claim you do okay, well and you, you can get it back or, or it not. There you go. There you go.
7: So you get less of a raise. Um, just... Just briefly, what I wanted to point out because, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what do we need to do, but I think you've been hearing some of the things we've been doing as we go through the presentation. Um, The efficiency measure, it basically looks at our Medicare beneficiary spending at our hospital um, and divides it by the median for the nation, median spending. And so um, there are risk adjustments that happen. But as I was talking um, about a little earlier with Trustee Lawrence, um, a lot of this risk adjustments happen with coding. So you have physician documentation that happens, and the physician documentation generates a code, and the code can be heavy or light. And then those codes basically generate information about the severity of your patient's illnesses. if you have physicians that are very specific, then the codes reflect sicker patients. Um, if they're writing all of the different diagnoses, if they're including all the right information, then the codes are more heavily or appropriately weighted. And so that really influences some of these risk things because the, um, the severity of illness or our case mix index, well, in, that gets all of those codes generate and they give us a number. So many organizations, if they're not doing a clinical documentation improvement program or they haven't had efforts, their patients don't look as sick. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when you have a ratio of what you see over what you would expect, your expect looks a lot lower, so your numbers don't look very good,
3: if that makes sense. No, say it again.
7: Okay, so, so if you're observing something, right? Let's say I, I'm, I'm observing patients and then based on the acuity of our patients, I might expect to see, because our patients are so sick, that we would have more infections, okay? So um, the observed over the expected is going to look different if we observe and then our expected looks a lot lower because we're not capturing all of the, the different diagnosis and all of those things that would, that would reflect in that number that would, make our patients look as sick as they are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So many of these domains actually have a component to that. So Dave and um, we haven't had a clinical documentation program. It's been a program that we've talked about. Um, Dave and his team are exploring with our um, health information management team and will partner with quality around exploring what we need to do. So there is some impact. And I would expect that if we clean up, our performance would look a lot better, with the exception of the patient experience, because that's straight up. I don't know if, Dave, if you wanted to. I just wanted to make sure that the, the so board was aware.
4: does our, um, a- our efforts at, at seeing providers fill out their reports, their charts thoroughly, is, is going to directly impact this? Yes. Yes. So we're really sick. All of our patients, right? (laughs) So, well, if
7: you look at our numbers, our patients don't look as sick as
4: they really are, right? On the numbers. Yeah. So we really, really need to to focus on that, and that's going to help us.
7: Yeah, it's going to help us. It'll help us with our billing. It'll it'll help us all the way around, and um, you know, I just don't know. When I got here four years ago, we just we were not ready. I mean, that was one of my first recommendations. But we just didn't have the infrastructure. We just weren't Mm -hmm. ready. And I think now we have a lot of the infrastructure ready to put in some will of Will ICD-10 help us,
6: too?
7: Hmm?
0: Yes, well, it will.
6: Yeah. ICD-10 yes. will help us because being much more. Yeah.
7: Yeah. And there was a lot of training that happened around ICD-10 for the medical staff. And Ingenious Med, the implementation, uh, implementation of that, at the board approved. Um, I've heard fantastic. The physicians are finding it very helpful with them being much more specific with their documentation and their information. So... Uh,
3: I, I don't want I don't want to minimize the importance of making certain that there's do- appropriate documentation for a patient. I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around um, my continual comment about you can do everything you know you can. how, on a scale of one to ten, how does this fall in relationship to the overall performance or harm or jeopardy of the organization um, of making certain that we are investing time in getting these things coded right. And I ask that not because it's not important, but when I sit at these meetings, there are a whole lot of things that are critically important that, that we're learning. And so as I'm processing this in my own mind, this is less than 1% financially, it's a big public relations in another way. So I'm trying to understand where we put the energy in getting this done correctly. Where does that fall?
0: It's a leading indicator. A- and and the, um, the things that we're going to do to address this, for example, on outcomes, there are six measures. Okay, 30-day mortality on heart attacks, pneumonia, things like that. That's a limited subset, so we're going to track those. But the things that we're going to do in terms of uh, implementing CDI through Ingenious Med, that helps everything that we do, and it's the right thing to do. And it's going to become more and more of an issue because, yes, Medicare is relatively low, but this is going to come into Medi-Cal, and Medi-Cal is huge for us. This is giving us a chance to get ready for it.
2: And, and the bar raises, right? Yes, the, the bar, bar is going to step up. So, and so then
0: we're going to be 100% at risk for these programs. Okay. I was going to say so that's the last
1: part. Then is the last
3: that it now moves to, a, to an 8, 9, or 10 of uh, it, organizational priorities.
1: It takes on an increasing uh, degree of importance for the reasons that, that David was just pointing out. Okay. So as we move from fee-for-service to these risk-based models, uh, the thing that uh, David was talking about earlier that insurers do, which is to make sure... That when you set that rate for how you're going to be capitated when you take risks, uh, that rate needs to be informed by the the community rating or the real, uh, tr- true uh, extent of the risk that you're taking. So you don't want it to be based off of a a, 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 a uh, let's say a more well or healthier patient population than you're actually experiencing because you're going to lose your shirt right away. I see. Right? Because if it's if it's that based off of what we know about your patients, we're expecting that we could pay you you know, $100 per member per month, but you're going to end up spending 200 and you just don't know it because your documentation hasn't that's been showing been how sick your patients right. are. Okay. Yeah, that's why it takes on increasing importance. I see. So. I see. Yeah.
5: I see. That's I exactly it. what I was going to say, that it, though it might be a small piece now, but it's just good practice for everybody, and it will get well, the dollars on the ar- other I wasn't front.
3: arguing about the good practice. I mean, uh, yes, okay. I, I understand that. What I was I- interested in is whether or not a board you, you know should in relationship to all the things that the organization mm-hmm. is doing where the emphasis should be about our wanting to make certain that we're monitoring this yeah. as a public agency mm-hmm. that that was yeah. m- and I think you're why. yeah
1: you were saying like if it's just if i heard you correctly if it's just a matter of you know That in that context. That's right that's what I'm And so doing, is doing it
3: now getting us ready because, because yeah. I, see. Yeah. I see
2: yeah yeah, it okay. makes sense because I think if we wait until it is a big issue yeah, and we're not doing late. anything, yeah, then, then we're in really big trouble. Right, right. So that was the right time. And if I could questions. just jump in the, the bigger, bigger picture beyond
4: AHS is the health of our community?
2: Oh, of course. Right, and of so course.
4: the beauty is if we are aligning to provide a healthier community, and it will help strengthen our bond with the public health department. I, I hope.
3: Yeah, but the then question, Joe, is tell me something that we're doing that doesn't doesn't affect that. <coughs> tell me something that we're doing in this hospital that isn't affecting the health. The com- so what I'm trying to to determine. And I think that's the role of the board is to make certain that we are focusing on what I call the high payoffs, the things that are in fact Mm -hmm. going to be the best for our, for the patients and for the community. Because we cannot keep doing everything mediocre. We have to be able to do things, I'm not saying everybody's me, I didn't mean, but I hope people understood that. Um, But we've got to be able to focus on, right. on those things that are gonna be the highest payoff because the staff cannot do it all.
4: Right, but I think the, the lost, one of the lost goals of the Affordable Care Act in those thousands of pages that nobody read was trying to move our country to a place where our medical providers, our hospitals, and our doctors aren't just interested in collecting a fee, but are interested in the mm-hmm. long-term health of the community. Yes. And, and so it's a philosophical shift that we are having to, that these brilliant people are actually implementing. And and so, you know, I know the Public Health Department has all these programs, all these people interested in population health. I don't know how closely their work is aligned or in the past has been aligned with AHS. So for example, when we're sitting at a meeting with Board of Supervisors and Alex Briscoe and hopefully the head of Public Health, we're seeing that our initiatives align with the Public Health Department's initiatives out in a community maybe where we see there's really poor outcomes and maybe that's the community where we consider opening our next primary care clinic because you know, the county recognizes that that's a need there. Or where we fund a nutrition program in a school because that school's you know, nutrition outcomes are, 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 are askew compared to the rest of the county. So I think that alignment is the big picture um, Sorry, I'm soapboxing no, now. No, no, now. Yeah, yeah, okay.
3: that, that helps, that helps yeah.
4: me. Or the immunization clinics. You know, mm-hmm. like we have a whole, public health has a whole immunization program. Well, are we making sure these kids are getting immunizations? Are there are there areas in the county that, well, that's it, a measure, right? you know, there's, so, so there's a lot of, yeah, so I think that's That's a measure, that's measure not a that's measure a, for
6: this, but that's a, that's a measure for
7: Medicaid, for Medicaid.
4: They're looking
6: at that. Yeah,
7: yeah. 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 so. Um, so if, if I could just add, um, we're using this as the example, but there are so many more implications for the data. So as far as the clinical documentation program, and so so from my perspective, I have been in healthcare organizations where the data really wasn't reflective of the care being provided because of the clinical documentation issue. And when you're trying to drive physician practice, and when you're trying to benchmark physician practice, Physicians are very sensitive about the data. So when we look at peer review and when we look at our obligation to look at ongoing professional practice, these indicators, so some of these safety indicators, I can use. So I can, I can pull rates of accidental puncture and lacerations and I can benchmark physicians against national benchmarks, not just Medicare all of their patients, Mm -hmm. and I can put them on a line to look to see where they fall, you know, um, how many standard deviations they fall outside to look who's a top performer and who's not. And I can't do that unless the data is actually reflective because the physicians get caught up on the data's not correct, I don't, you know. But when the data is clean through that clinical documentation program, then they're like, okay, this looks good. Why am I an outlier or why is Joe, Um, You know his practice uh, having better outcomes than mine and that is a whole dialogue that opens up So this is one piece, but (laughs) I, I I have been in organizations where they thought they had a problem and when we looked at the data you know, the patients, we thought we had a lot of patients who were dying who shouldn't have been, and when we actually looked at the patients, these were end-stage cancer patients that physicians just weren't putting down enough information. So it looked like they shouldn't be dying when they should have. We cleaned the data up, and then we really knew where to focus our resources and efforts. So very powerful.
6: Okay. Um, To that point, I'd also
7: go back to the beginning of the presentation, and David mentioned um,
6: the difference between fee-for-service and capitated or bundled payments. This hopefully would... Reduce the physician need eventually, or the caregiver need to order multiple tests and procedures and 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 in interventions for each patient. Because, you know, by knowing exactly what the benchmarks are and uh-huh. knowing what the the best quality for a certain condition, it would really help help our, our physicians to provide the yeah. best care. Yeah, excellent
1: point. Yep, that's a great point. When you look at the efficiency, mm-hmm. that's exactly what happens. So so you can look at variation by provider in terms of an episode of care. Um, so just say like a, a, a knee replacement. If you have three providers who do it and you say your cost is, is, you know, inordinately higher than some of your peers, why is that? Some of that could be the type of uh, um, joints that you're using, right, and why you're, so the question becomes, Why are you using this one versus the other one on a purely practical, practical, pragmatic basis? Or why are your patients having more uh, infections than other people's uh, infections? Because that's leading to higher cost you and you start to dive into more of their practice. So it does drive decisions around equipment, uh, uh, practice behavior, all sorts of things that really get at value, right? So why are we paying for this versus this when the outcomes for for that are, are better? Know, uh, even if the costs, a- and the costs are less, so. And,
7: and, um, and I just need to do a little plug because that $1.7 million that was committed to MIDAS is going to take all this information and it's going to package it and it's going to be a very powerful tool for us to bring the information benchmark to physicians, which we don't have the capacity now. So briefly, let's talk about hospital-acquired qu- um, <laughs> conditions. Briefly. <laughs> <Part two. laughs> briefly. Um, um, so so, what I want you to know about this program is that um, yeah. this is a program where either you get penalized or you don't. And you get penalized or if you're in the bottom quartile, meaning the poorest per 25% of, perform- of um, performers. Like,
3: p- per- measured against people like you or nation at all hospitals.
7: So this is just, this is... Um, there are some risk adjustments that happen here, and there are there are, are some analysis that happen here It's not just that they rank everybody in the nation and so it's the bottom twenty five percent. the domains are hospital acquired harms, so psis and I'll talk about those and there's about 15 PSIs, and there's things like that we have looked at. So central um, central line-associated infection. Urinary, you know, um, when you have a catheter in your bladder, you get an infection. Um, you have a hip fracture if you fall. Um, you you, um, you have a accidental puncture and laceration. So um, so that top category where we have focused very very heavily um, is starting to diminish, and then. The, the bottom domain, which is hospital-acquired infections, is gonna become much, much more strong. And so we're looking at things like I just talked about, like the, the central line infection, the bladder, and then they're gonna add some others, <coughs> such as colon surgeries and abdominal hysterectomies. And, you know, for us, we're a trauma center, so our traumas tend to be, you know, not as clean as a surgical cut. So, you know, that may have some impact with us. So um, another thing I want to tell you about Hospital um, Acquired Conditions Program is it started out as if you come into the hospital and then you get a bladder infection, people used to say, oh, well, that happens sometimes to people when they come into the hospital. And so if you were in the hospital, let's say you came in for back surgery and you got your code for back surgery, if if you got a hospital acquired condition, a heavier weight would go on top of what you came in for, and then you would end up getting more money because the person actually got an infection because it required more so resources. To- so I think it was like two, I'm going to say 2007, 2008. So, so the first step was saying, and people mm-hmm. say you're not going to get paid for these different hospital-acquired conditions. The truth is, you will get paid, but you will not get additional funds for the fact that somebody actually had something bad happen to them. So if, if they came in and they had you know, an accidental puncture and they had a bleed and you had to bring them back to the OR, you, we would not be reimbursed for that. We would eat that. So that's the first part of the program. And then the second part of the program is the ranking where they're actually looking at the amount of these types of things that we have and where we fall. So we actually did have at Highland, not at Alameda or San Leandro, but at Highland, we actually got a 1% penalty for this program So, and I just wanted to show you this graph, um, and I I forgot to put in a little disclaimer, but this, I think the visual of this. So this is, we went back and um, this is for the system, and I wanted to look from the time I came in 2011, (laughs) Um, that was really not my primary driver, but when I came, um, <laughs> to the time of 2015, you know, you feel like, am I making a difference here? Yeah, sure. So when you look at this, we actually went back at, at um, Alameda, we were able to pull all of Alameda's data back to 2011, and, on, and um, for San Leandro, we were only able to have data for fiscal year 13, so 13 San Leandro kind of enters in, but in, and those are smaller volumes. So. <laughs> So what we did is we looked to see, using fiscal year 11 mm. as a baseline, what was, our, what was our composite score around harms, all of the harms, and there are many of the harms and many of the hospital-acquired conditions. So that 200 in that first box means that we ha- actually had, in fiscal year 11, 200 harms that came up and were coded throughout the healthcare system, with the exception of um, San Leandro, but Alameda, uh, John George Fairmont, um, Highland. If you look at fiscal year 15, we, we our, our rate went down, our composite score went down, and um, we actually, our total number of harms for fiscal year 15 was 137. So to me, and like I said, I, I don't know if that's, you know, I used one year as a benchmark, and I, I, I went to 2015. I know that we are making an improvement, and we have, if if you look, I mean, the total reduction using 2011 to fiscal year 2015, we actually reduced harm by um, 40.13%. During this time, there were a lot of initiatives, and even prior to that, we had harm (gasps) reduction initiatives that were going on. So so, um, I talked to you about the visibility room. Um, We are looking at all the hospital-acquired conditions, and um, we keep that on the radar. I also want to share, that my team once I, the impact of the once the impact of the um, the um, hospital acquired conditions program became evident to me and the one percent became evident to me. Um, the last two years, my team actually we go through we work very closely with the coders and so if a hospital acquired condition gets coded, it pops up. I have a nurse that looks at the chart immediately. We talk with the coders. We look at the documentation. We make sure that it is actually a hospital-acquired condition because I think back in uh, 2011 some things may have moved forward that actually didn't meet criteria. And then we send each of those cases to peer review. Mm. So the physicians are taking a look at what they could possibly do. We're now at a point where we can aggregate all of that data. And so we know for all the hospital-acquired conditions where we have the biggest opportunity. And that information is looked at on a rolling 12 months in the visibility room every month. So we actually have we actually have a pretty good program.
3: That's great.
2: Yeah. So th- this is great. I mean, um, and congrat- this, you know, congratulations to the team for making all that happen because that's a lot of work on everyone's part. Just to inspire us, what would be, like for a, a hospital like us, what would be like the very best performance going on right now?
7: There zero preventable harm. So that's our True North metric, well, zero preventable harm. And, so,
2: and, and what's actually occurring? Do you know, like, what, what's the best hospital out there right um, now in terms you of know, what's actually so
7: occurring? Our, our methodology that we use is actually, we actually came up with this. So I don't know, uh, we, could, we mm-hmm. could, you know, use outside benchmarks. Um, um, I, I would have to look. I don't think anyone quite measures it like this. This mm-hmm. isn't a standard measurement. We, right. This was really done to reflect our composite score, which were our strategic mm-hmm. priorities for, for
4: zero preventable harm. Well, in the
2: meanwhile, we'll, we'll go with zero. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But so you, um,
4: you said we did lose the 1% last year, though. We did. So we were in the <coughs> bottom 25%. Yes, we were. Okay. But that's based on last year's data or prior? So,
7: so that data is a couple years old. It's also a couple years yes. old. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's probably around... Um, 11, 12, maybe some of 13. So it's, it's older data. Yeah.
4: So you, this is our unique system to track harm, but if you go back up to the, really what, whatever system CMS is using right. is, you know, if infections and, and harm. I mean, it's a different system where we're judged by other hospitals.
7: So many of them are the same. So although, so when we took into consideration this, I think um, eight of the 11 preventable harms are actually in our numbers. So so we're, we are working that as part of our strategic plan because it makes sense.
4: And is there, I'm curious, I, I would love to see the, who, what types of hospitals scored. I, I would love yeah. to see more, a snapshot, like, like is it a, are our are, 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 are county hospitals more likely to, to score to, to get penalized? Uh, is there any regional breakdown? Yeah, I mean, it should yeah. be fascinating to see yeah. how we do.
1: I agree. I, I Just I think one big difference, uh, Karen, that, that tell me if this is wrong, these numbers are for all of our patients. Right. Yes, correct. Exactly. We look at CMS; those are only the patients who have Medicare. Yes. Uh, this, so, so those numbers would be reflective of all the hospitals around the country just looking at the numbers uh, or the information for people who are on Medicare. Whereas hospitals obviously don't, like I was saying earlier, you don't say, "I'm only doing this for." If you have Medicare, I don't need to take great care of you. I need to take <laughs> great care of everybody. So these numbers reflect all the patients that we've taken care of in yes. the organization. So that's why it becomes a little difficult yeah. to do apples to apples based off of these different indicators.
3: Uh, everyone, I'm just going to give you a process process. You know, we, we probably should have these uh, education sessions two hours and, and to get out by six. So I just want to kind of pace you. You've got a half hour and everybody has to yeah, be mindful of that so. We're coming we into can, home stretch. Okay, so we can make certain that okay. we move along. This is great, by the way, just really, really sure. wonderful. So, so,
7: thank you. So, uh, so, I will. So, this is just an example of our, our composite score that we use. And this is for the AHS core. So, this is not for Alameda and it's not for San Leandro. And this is just an example. So, you can see the hospital acquired conditions. And so, um, the, uh, under the hospital acquired conditions, you can see what falls, what. Um, what falls under hospital conditions, and under value-based purchasing, you can see the different, the different elements. So what you see is anything in green, we have had a significant improvement or reduction in harm from 2011 to 2015. And anything that is not in green, I have the number next to it. So for fiscal year 2015, we didn't see a significant reduction, but we, we had, um, I don't want to say only two falls with trauma because two is too many, but it's, the numbers are very, very low. Same thing with the surgical site infections. We didn't see a reduction, but for fiscal year 2015, we only had one surgical site infection that met the criteria, which is pretty, you know, pretty remarkable. So just wanted to share that, and then I'm so proud about the, um, the 73% reduction in sepsis mortality. That's just huge. And that reduction actually impacts all of our mortality and all of our outcomes data. So all of these programs may not be directly linked, but they all impact our performance. Sure. So the readmission reduction program is the last program we're going to talk about. And um, so the way this works is they look at your read- the hospital's readmission rate for certain particular diagnoses. So it's the usual, it's um, it's, A, it's uh, AMI, it's uh, actually I have it next, Next, so I can talk about this. So it's got. Um,
1: so you, you said, just so we're clear, AMI, heart attacks, acute myocardial infarction, acute
7: infarction. Uh, heart Dr.
1: failure, and CHF, right? congestive right. heart so, failure. So here's
7: the list.
6: Okay,
1: and I'll great. go
7: back to the other slide. So the pr- this there's three emission program. Um, you can have up to a 3% penalty, and it's um, that the HACC program that I talked about previously, that is on all of your payment. Once again, the readmission program is just on your increase, um, similar to the value-based purchasing program. But um, you can see they kind of phased it in with a 1%, 2 3%, and they're adding more diagnoses. And you can see I put the based on discharges. So this year, Um, For fiscal year um, 2016, 3% um, and then all of the diagnoses that are checked are actually in that category. And the data is from July 2011 to June 2014. So for all three of our hospitals for 2016, you can lose up to 3% of uh, of your, um, your payment. And um none of our hospitals were above a half a percent. So we actually fared fairly well. For this readmission, seventy-seven percent of the nation received a penalty. So only twenty-three percent of hospitals did not receive a penalty. So almost everybody did, and many up to three percent, and we only had all of our facilities were below a half a percent. So I think all things considered, we we did okay. I'd also like to point out um, is that for, for 2016, July 2011 to 2014, our care transitions program um, was, was actually 2011, 2012. So 2013 is when we started that program and that's our innovative program where we are sending people out, as Dave was saying, to people's homes to look at their medications, to make sure that they're taking their medications for people that are in high-risk categories. So our data, this is really kind of untouched data, so I I fully expect that as the um, base dates change on the bottom and get closer to 2015-16, we will see
1: um, improvement in those efforts.
3: How, How do death rates play into the
1: issues? so you're not readmitted if, 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 if you pass away. Uh, I, was, no, I, major, so. I was gonna clarify oh, this, I, right. I, I think this may help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great question. What I was gonna say is, is um, um, re- the readmission penalty is related, and correct me if I'm wrong, you uh a readmission is once, you're, once you've been admitted for one of these conditions, and, you, and then you're discharged from the hospital, if you return back to the hospital, either this hospital or any other hospital, for the same condition within 30 days, oh, 30 then days. you are penalized. Yeah, so so if you came and you had a heart attack and we treated you and we, um, we discharged you and you went home and you got a sore throat and it was really bad and you decided to come to a hospital and you got admitted and it wasn't connected to your heart attack within 30 days, that wouldn't no count. Problem. But if it was connected to what you presented for and were discharged for within, that, within the last 30 days, then the initial hospital that treated you gets a penalty for that, for that readmission. Is that, is that correct? Okay, cool. So if you, if you died within those 30 days, it does affect VBP. I was going to say. Outcome I was gonna measure. Ask, it's an
0: outcome measure under VPP.
1: Yes. It is. So yeah. if you look there, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually, is it within 30 days or within? It's,
0: 30. 30, is it, it's 30 days.
1: It's 30 days of a discharge, yeah. yeah. So so it was a great question. So it doesn't apply in readmission, but it applies in the other uh, outcome measures in the VBP.
3: Well, just so that you know, I knew it wasn't a readmission issue. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make it clear that I am remedial, but I'm not
6: that remedial. I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm
3: it's I, like I if
6: did. You, if you graduate <laughs> and or you don't graduate and you come back for another that's year, the same, that's, that's the reason, I was yeah. trying
3: <laughs> to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, board member Tracy. Um,
2: okay, moving and, on. I'm oh, sorry, sorry. And three, three per, And it's a percentage of what? The penalty is three it, percent. It's three
7: percent of, of, of your increase. So it's th- so it's it, it's once again it's like a, it's so, no. I don't think we
1: described the increased part. Although I'm not I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. But but let me just say that it, it may be. Uh, when she keeps when she's referring to an increase, what she's talking about is the payment adjustment that happens every year. Yeah, so, yeah. so Medicare, as a payer, recognizes that your cost up every year uh-huh. give you an adjustment factor each year, and that adjustment factor, you know, your basic cost of living, if you will, mm-hmm. can be reduced by a certain percentage based off of your performance in this area. So,
2: let's say, for example, that our increase is three mm-hmm. percent, then it would be three percent of 3%. the three percent. Yes. So. Very,
1: you know, Whatever hard. that number is, <laughs> yeah, so, small. Okay.
2: So what
3: if you're, if you're lousy in everything, all across the board? And so you've got you know a three percent penalty here, and there's the one, <coughs> one seven five, mm-hmm. someplace else, and then you there was, a, what what, what's the worst case scenario in terms of penalties that? How much oh.
1: does
0: I really calculated that, I'd say it's roughly 2%. Yeah, it could be 3 to $4 million, dollars. What? 3 to 4000000 million.
1: You're saying for us, it will be 3 to $4 million. W- if, worst case. If we take on everyone. every last one of these yeah. versus 600000 it would probably be, uh, yeah. we'd lose about $3 to $4 million. Dollars. Okay. Right now. Right now. Uh, right, right now, correct. Okay.
2: But that right. can expand. Yes. That's, That's will, going yeah. to expand.
1: <laughs> yes. As, as okay. there this is the uh, last program.
0: <clears throat> uh, it's just really hasn't even started yet. <clears throat> this, uh, what, the, what the program is is sort of a demonstration product. And <clears throat> what Medicare is doing is they're taking, um, uh, you can't really read it, but it's lower extremity total joint replacement, yes. so knees and hips. And they're looking at the total cost. This represents <clears throat> um, our cost versus the Pacific region median versus national. The thing that you're, we're missing here is if you go down and look at these costs, which is blacked out, unfortunately, on yours. We're missing some key components. Uh, the data is not in there for some, for some reason for uh, skilled nursing and other things. But the, 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 the concept is that they're going to pick a, a dollar amount, probably right around here, about 22.5 for this surgery, uh, pay that to the provider, and then the provider's responsible for arranging all these services. The, the other thing about this one is uh, <clears throat> the number of cases that we have here is only five in the data period, so it's actually fairly small for us, although it's something we want to grow, I believe.
4: Uh, why is it that the Pacific region is less costly than the United States in this when we're more expensive than
0: everything else? Um, actually, the, uh, <clears throat> um, the West Coast is actually less expensive in many cases than the East Coast. We have a, a lower length of stay, lower admission rate, <clears throat> um, and having worked on the East Coast, I can tell you it's very different. Right, Been in capitation?
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Want to go
0: surf? Yeah. It's a lot it's of Kaiser. Huh.
4: Pacific region. Okay. Why, why are we so much cheaper than our region? <clears throat>
0: um, I believe it's because we're missing some some key data points. <laughs> oh, that's what you were talking about, yeah. the key data. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. Um, the blue and <laughs> the red. <laughs> 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 yeah. The readmission. Because we're fantastic. Um, Okay, okay, I believe it's the last slide, but we just want to talk for a minute about some of the things we're doing.
7: So um, so I I think you heard a couple of themes. So the data is older, there have been a lot of initiatives, and we do have a lot of programs that are happening. Our opportunities um, are clearly around patient experience. Um, That's one area where at least in the value-based purchasing program, we, we hadn't made impro- dramatic improvements and we're still below the 50 percentile. But there, there is a lot of planning in place. And one of your, a, a full educational section is, is gonna be done with Kinsey and some other team members to talk to you about um, all of the work that's happening around really focusing in on improving the patient experience. Um, we talked about the outcomes data, can I, can um, clinical question? documentation improvement, and then disease-specific
3: programs. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question, sure. I'm sorry, Karen, about about the patient experience issue because we raised we talked about this at one of the last meetings, I think quality or something, um, about who is doing the uh, documentation relative to patient experience. And uh, I understand we, Farm that out. It's a national. It's a national group. Everyone has
7: mm-hmm. it.
3: Uh, how is that group monitored in relationship to what, to what they do and how they perform? Um, and, and I'm asking because I really do see a significant difference from um, soliciting data from communities that. Uh, are connected to the internet, have four or five telephones. You know that. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which you can communicate with them, versus populations that tend to be more impoverished or more transient or, um, you know. It, how 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 does a company how is a company measured, so that?
1: So this probably won't surprise you. Uh, a lot of that onus is placed on you. Uh, the the the. Uh, Provider, so so Prescany does. They're the contracted vendor that we use for what's called the H caps and the inpatient side CG caps on outpatient side. The, the surveys that uh, we benchmark against everyone else. And so where you have variation in the uh, demographic and the and you know the dynamics of the demographic that you serve, um, they you know they they try to tailor their approach to surveying to sort of accommodate for <laughs> that. And you can do that at various costs, right? So you can, you know, for us, um, uh, if we were to uh, purchase more of their services to survey a lot more patients, to do a lot more follow-up when they don't get responses, uh, to look at different ways of surveying them, whether it's through mail or phone calls, phone calls with interpreter, all those different things. You basically, it's on you to kind of figure out how you can get a good response rate from the people who you serve, even to the point of, you know, obviously it's on you to make sure that you have Uh, accurate uh, um, uh, contact information and for many of our patients some of whom are transient and in their uh, housing situation that becomes another barrier for us so so they're sensitive to it but as best I understand unless anyone knows differently um, uh, there's no onus on that entity they're just considered the neutral third party that's trying to look at everyone across the board and we're just we're we're trying to make sure that that, that what they capture for us is a more accurate representation of what's truly the yeah. case for us.
3: So then my, my follow-up question related to that issue is how do you know I mean what, what's the process for the decision relative to whether or not you you have a bigger contract and you and potentially improve the patient experience? Mm-hmm. Versus or at least the reporting of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know what is if if the amount of revenue that comes in is four mil- four million dollars, but the contract itself is two point five. Yeah.
1: it seems you know. I think this one uh, probably more so than the quality one, although they do all apply both to uh, you know public and commercial payers. I think both of them are are. are are considered, but for me, this was one is certainly one that, that tilts more towards the uh, the PR piece than, than the, ulti- the the other part. Uh, I would just tell you from my own experience, um, I've been in organizations where the patient experience and the uh, reporting of that is a very high priority for the organization because they've decided that a part of their image is we're going to be, you know, tops in patients' uh, experience and patient uh, 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 service, if you will. And so we're going to kind of hang our shingle on that and lead with that. And a lot of safety nets, historically, uh, we've not seen that as a priority because we've been considered, you know, the safety net, the place of last resort. And so uh, it's not like uh, a lot of people are saying, well, I'm going to choose you over some other place. So that's grown since with the ACA and people having greater choice. But there are still some places, and L.A. was one of them, that uh, uh, we we made a... Um, sort of a modest increase in our efforts to improve those scores because it was a lot of it was tied to some of our waiver payments, like uh, particularly from the outpatient side. So we made investments in that. Mm-hmm. But we still didn't have a very high end for a, a system that, you know, served a lot of patients. And, uh, you know, I think there were a, a, several in leadership who thought, you know, it's just really not the area we want to focus on. So at the end of the day, we, you know, wholeheartedly felt that the patients Um, experience was not reflective in the surveys and that we knew that our patients were getting great care and that they actually thought highly of that care it just didn't necessarily pan out in surveys and to chase that uh, uh, some some leaders felt was not the most uh, valuable use of our time and I think we struggle with that too like we're we're doing it uh, we're certainly trying to do it better and make sure that the investment we've made we get the value from it whether we you know invest even more in that and try to make it more robust it's a fair question i think
3: well and i think to tracy's point earlier about uh, about the higher the, the higher the pr the positive pr looks for our organization particularly in this county the, yeah. the, the, the more the more folks we we can bring in yeah. so
6: well i can comment uh, from the, um <laughs> the alameda we struggled with this on the board of alameda hospital even before we were part of the system and One of the things um, that influences patient experience to a large extent is the environment. And and Hospital is a relatively old building, and um, the carpet's very old, and the beds, as you know, are kind of old, too. And so a lot of times, not only that, but um, where the nursing station is and things that, that some things that can be adjusted, but some things that can't be adjusted, and these all contribute to whether a patient experience is good or bad, whether they think that they're being um, that it's too noisy. In fact, noise was one of the h- biggest yeah. issues for patients. They said, you know, I had great care. My doctor was great. I got all the tests I wanted. The food wasn't even that bad, but God, it was so noisy there. So they would rank it low on patient experience. And if the, in our hospital, we had um, nursing station um, documentation things that came off the wall and it would be kind of noisy. You'd be outside the room, you'd pull it down make your notes, put it back, and so that was just one example of things that really influenced the patient experience that wasn't so much a quality or a or an outcomes issue, and those are things that I know that we've been addressing, so yeah. when the acute care tower opens, our patient experience is going to just.
2: Well, and I, I would wonder if, you know, the outcomes actually would be better if the experience was better, I mean, if you're happier with what, if you're, Happier with the experience. You know, it's very difficult for I think a lot of people to determine whether they've got really good care. They're better or they're not. But they kn- they know that. That's right. They, they know that it was lousy. We
1: all know the experience. We they, know if they, the food was cold, it wasn't tasty, yeah.
2: and, and and all that stuff. And I think those kind of go hand in hand. And to some extent, you know, the um, the experience proxies for, you know. Those all, all, all the things that they can't evaluate quite as well, but, collet-
3: that, but collecting the documentation exactly. to show the experience. There you go. It is the issue, and there so we can be the best. We can be the best with the group of people we 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 mm-hmm. get information from, but if we are not collecting a wide enough base, sure, it's not going to compare yeah. nationally to others. Yeah, so I'm just advocating correct. for yeah.
2: you know we, we may want to think about that a little harder. Just. Because I, I think there's, I just think that there is a relationship. And we it's, do, and yeah. we
1: have goals, uh, and, and uh, I think we've shared them. We have goals to increase our, our patient experience scores we, because we want to, and we think it is important, uh, and we want to track that. And yeah. I actually should say, parenthetically, because we've been doing all of these um, employee forums, uh, Prescani, uh in, in addition to running the HCAP programs for all hospitals in the country, uh, they also, and the reason they are able to do this is they've been doing, patient experience uh, surveys all along and they continue to do that. So in areas where we don't have those types of uh, standardized metrics like um, uh, HCAPs, like for example in the behavioral health world, we just use Press Ganey for that experience and the way that they collect data from the sort of non hcaps version and their own version is a little bit different. Like in that case we can get the surveys as patients are leaving and point of fact for for John George, our patient experience scores that are just done by patient uh, Press Ganey, 93% of people are highly recommending the place. That one's done a little differently than this one where it's post-discharge, it's usually I think, like, at least 15, maybe 30 days after that, Up we give them a download of all the patients we discharge. They randomly select some of them and then they send the surveys out. So sometimes you're like well past your discharge. You're trying to remember what yeah, happened could, in your care. I couldn't you know, remember all those what things. it yeah. was like after yeah. 30 days. 30 Usually, I guess sometimes you the, the, the things you remember are the things that were really good or the things that really sucked. Yeah. Everything yeah. else, you're like, yeah. I guess if I don't remember it, maybe it was just okay. But any of that, all of that is a lot of the stuff we, we, we challenge, we're struggling with. But I do share that overall. Aren't our, 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 our CMS star ratings for patient experience are on par with most of the community? This yes. was the issue we took with that patch article yes. because it said patients ranked us as the worst hospitals in the state okay. Which is not true. We there's a five-star rating for this as well And we uh, at all three of our facilities have two stars So we weren't that eager to run out and say no, you're wrong. We had two stars. We weren't, we weren't one star We were two uh, so you don't want to <laughs> hang your hat on that but uh, two stars is the same score that Alta Bates had, that some of the Kaiser facilities had, that some of the other facilities in the area. That you know, when people were responding to this and saying, "Oh, geez, that's that bad place." Thank goodness we have this place. And you look at the score, and you're like, "That place has the same score as we do," and they probably spend and invest more on this type of thing. So it's a it's a bit hit or miss, I, I think. Okay.
7: So in closing, I I think I'm looking back to our session goal, um, making sure because we have an educator in the room, right? Um, <laughs> making sure that you understand the shift from fee-for-service to, s- fee for to value and um, talking a little bit about the uh, value-based purchasing program and two of the other programs. And um, as we've talked through the presentation, I, we've shared some of the ways that um, AHS is, is adapting. There's still some things we need to do. Um, I think with given the resources that we have, we've actually done a good job with Um, Working in um, the metrics that are being measured through these different programs into our day-to-day operations through our true north metrics and our visibility room Um, But once again, as we said, there's some things that would really help the clinical documentation program and that's in discussion um, And focus on patient experience which Kinsey will be bringing to you in the new year Are there any other questions?
3: Well, um, on behalf of the board, I want to thank you for being the the rollout guinea pigs for the the presentation. Um, we do appreciate it, and I think this was this was very effective, and and I think we all enjoyed it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, closing the meeting. Are there any? Public comments? Any need for public comments? No and public comments. Uh, how about a comment from our CEO?
1: Thank you, sir. I was like, can I count as a public comment? Uh, I do want to say uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. Yesterday, obviously, was Veterans Day, and we honored the service of of all of the men and women who have you know dedicated their lives and in time to, in service to this country and one of them is in our midst today. We did a, uh, a, a message from me out to all the, we have a lot of people in the organization who are either active duty or uh, veterans and one of them is here today, Mr. Terry Lightfoot and I just wanted to send, on behalf of the organization and I assure the board, thank you for your service.
3: Okay, thank you. Um, we we'll have a motion to adjourn.
1: I'll
3: move. Uh, okay. All in favor, aye, good, right. you're done.